This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producers are Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry. Three guests this week, three really great conversations. First up, ESPN's Chris Fowler. Uh, doesn't really need much of an introduction. The lead college football and tennis voice for ESPN. He has a new podcast out, uh, which we talk about, called Fowler Who You Got. It is a long-form interview podcast, uh, including uh, many discussions away from sports. So um, Chris talks about why he's doing it, uh, where the podcast, uh, where what he hopes to do with the podcast, and then we get into um, calling college football this year in an unprecedented environment his experience with the NFL, and if you'd like to do uh, more NFL games in the future. So Chris Fowler first, followed by Jordan Cornette and Shea Pepler Cornette. They co-host um, ESPN Radio's game day each Sunday during the football season. It is the first time a married couple has co-hosted an ESPN Radio show, and they were a ton of fun. They have awesome chemistry if uh, you've never heard them before. So a great conversation with Jordan Cornette and Shea Pepler Cornette. And then we finish up with Harvey Arden, the longtime New York Times sports writer, sports columnist. He has a new book, Our Last Season, A Writer, A Fan, and A Friendship. Chronicles his bond with um, a longtime season ticket holder for the Knicks who became uh, a really close friend uh, of Harvey Arden's. Um, so three great conversations, three really, really good guests. Chris Fowler, Jordan Cornette, Shea Pepler Cornette, and Harvey Arden all coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, um, Chris Fowler, who, if you listen to this podcast, honestly doesn't really need much of an introduction, so I'll give him, but I'll give him one anyway. He is the uh, lead college football and lead tennis voice for ESPN. Um, you have heard and seen his work on that network for probably three decades at this point, um, calling the biggest college football games of the week. Uh, for those of us who are tennis fans like myself, you see him at the U.S. Open and Wimbledon at the Australian Open. Obviously, Chris has a very long and storied career associated with College Game Day. He has been on this podcast before and the podcast I had at Sports Illustrated. And uh, pleased to be joined by Chris Fowler. Chris, how are you? Great, Richard. Look forward to this. Uh, nice to connect with you. Hope you're well. Yeah, same to you and yours. Um, all right, so here's where, before I get to some of the things that you've done, uh, during the middle of COVID, you are starting a podcast. Uh, congrats, Chris! Your your number <laughs> your, your number one million four hundred and seventy five in the podcast space. The commissioner of podcasts finally called me, and, and personally, and not not through his people, actually personally called me and said, "What is taking you so long? Every other human on the planet has one. Why have you procrastinated?" Because I did think about it for about three years, and and finally it came to pass, and we launched about. A month ago, I've been producing episodes for about four or five months. It was kind of a side hustle in the pandemic when there were no sports to call. And uh, my wife, Jennifer, whom you know, was, a, was an important contributor behind the scenes to College Game Day creatively, is the co-executive producer. So we're collaborating for the first time officially 
professionally, and that's been fun too. And, and these are not sports topics. What, what I like about it is that it's really a step away or a sidestep anyway from, from the day job. These are just topics that interest me. There's a lot of sports storytelling in the podcast, a lot of the guests I know from the sports world, but we're not doing, hey, here's the week in college football, or hey, let's do a pod on the U.S. Open. It's, it's different from the kind of stuff that I do on the job. That's by necessity, actually, because I'm sort of owned in that space by my employer, but I didn't want to do that anyway. I, these, are, these are all kinds of topics and all kinds of guests that I've really enjoyed you know, getting to know and researching and and I love the process of doing it. And, and we're, like I said, we're just launching. We're, we're gaining awareness. I'm told we were number 78 on the Apple charts, which they say is good. I don't, I don't know the, the marketing of it. I'm still new at, but it's really the, it's the day-to-day sort of creative process that I'm enjoying and not, not the end game, not monetizing it, none of that stuff so far. So. All right. Well, first off, let's get the name, Chris. Am I correct? Fowler, who you got, is the name of the yeah, podcast? Yeah, it, go, it goes back to an early story when I, I had a chance to hang out for a day with John Madden when I was a college broadcasting student. And he came to Boulder to shoot a commercial while doing a game in Denver. And people come up come to him, John, who you got? Who you got? And I, I saw that it probably was the question that annoyed him the most. He was kind of crusty that day while shooting this commercial. And now I get it all these years later, but people asking him that question annoyed him. And I, I filed that away. I said, never ask anybody in sports who you got, because it's kind of a gambling undertone. Right. And so I, I thought that I get that question, by the way, a lot. So rather than answer, Hey, I got Bama or I got Clemson or I got Serena. I thought I would just be able to flip that and say, I've got Willie Geist. Now I've got Gabby Reese, right? You know, different guests on this podcast. And that's the genesis of the name, which is kind of weird, but um, it was my wife's suggestion. So I'll blame Jennifer for that one. But yeah, you know, it, and it sits out there in all the usual places. And we just, we just put out our fourth episode and we've talked about things like the bonds that brothers share, which is a huge topic for me with, with Nate Folliwell at Kings of Leon and Patrick McEnroe sharing stories about John and his other brother. And, and then the power of laughter, which I think we need now more than ever to connect people to, to boost your mood, mental health, helps your immune system. So we've, we've explored topics like that. The one that's just out is Desmond Howard turned 50. So did Gabby Reese. And they're both kind of wellness, unofficial wellness gurus, a lot of good ideas and advice about training and living and at age 50, but it's for really for anybody. So that's the kind of stuff we sit around with a whiteboard. We come up with topics, we come up with guests. Uh, booking is not easy, but but once you do get them booked, I really, as, as you found, just sitting, enjoying and having a long form conversation without the time constraints of a TV interview is so much fun. Chris, ideally, um, if you could sort of construct a couple of your ideal shows for this podcast, which guests and or topics would you really like to do? Well, I'd like to have Barack Obama on. I, I actually stay away from politics. So we might talk about other things with him, like basketball. I, I love talking to interesting people and then sort of taking an aspect of their life and exploring that with, and not doing these sort of biographical sit down podcast interviews. So there, there's almost anyone that, that you could talk to. I, I think that you know, I, I've got my, my wish list of actors and musicians and things like that. Um, we, we had, we wondered how, how do we get Billy Crystal on this? I don't really know Billy Crystal's people, but at some point, maybe we'll try to make the pitch and approach people like that, that, that are just such great storytellers. Because to me, that, that's the best part of, of this medium is just being able to hear people 
tell stories in a long form and, and kind of have, have it be a flowing conversation. So we got, we got a long wish list, but I don't, they'll probably just remain on the wish list, you know? Well, so that's interesting to me because like, and I wonder how it works for you. Um, you are, you know, without sort of like sort of saying something uh, egotistical, you are a well-known person in sports television. That, that is just a fact. That's it's not an opinion. Does that translate uh, for you into, or do you think that will translate for you into getting guests or are you just like the rest of us schmoes where you got to try to hustle and, and call on some favors? Like it's, you know, the ESPN more, as you know, Chris, the ESPN machine has a lot of people whose job it is to book. They do a great job and they have these long lists of contacts and, and how to get to people. So you're a smaller shop here. How have you found it so far in terms of, uh, at least making the pitch on trying to get people. Yeah, it's a bit of both to answer your question. I mean, yes, I use my contacts. I'm, I can text people directly that I know and some of the guests that we've had on, uh, that, that's the approach. But no, when you don't know them, I don't have that ESPN muscle. This is independent of the company. I might try to scrounge for somebody's representative's email. I, I do that because that's I, I try to be polite about it and not cold call them. But it, as you know, booking guests can be a serious challenge. Um, it takes up time and energy. Sometimes you might know the person, but their team still wants to know what the pod's about, who's listening, what's the topic, and you have to do a pitch. You have to do an old-fashioned pitch, right? So I, I, I'm adept at that. I, I just pitched uh, – I won't tell you who the guest is, but I just pitched a guest that I actually go back 20 years with, but his team wanted to know what, what, what are we saying yes to. Okay, <laughs> I'll give you the information, but <laughs> hopefully the answer will be yes. Uh, but yeah, and then sometimes you can just like I just I was just on the phone with Jay Bill. It's just going to be a guest because his his book about toughness and his ideas were kind of redefining that term in, in a non-sports sense uh, really interests me, and that's going to be a, a part of a future episode. Now, Jay, I don't have to go through his people. It's nice to be able to pick up the phone, and he gives gives me an instant yes, you know. So, Chris, what was I, I mean? You know, go as far as you want here, understanding that you, you're you're talking about you're an employer in a sense, but w- did was it? Was it difficult at all for you to get a green light to do a podcast away from from ESPN? You know, one of the things, and I, I, this is a very good business strategy for ESPN. They they try to put everything under their large moat so that everything sort of is stamped with the with the ESPN imprint and 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 it, you know it gets them more listeners and and viewers, et cetera. But this this is outside of that. Uh, you know, outside of that wall, so to speak, I wonder for your purposes, was that, was that tricky at all to be able to, to get this project? I like your use of the word moat. It's a very deep moat with crocodiles swimming around. They, they, they protect their castle very well. The wall right. is very high on the other side of the moat too. You know, I knew it was going to be impossible to do a sports podcast outside of the ESPN umbrella. It's just not contractually sound. It wouldn't have been a good idea. And, and actually, if I'm going to do a sports pod, Richard, I would have wanted their muscle behind it. Um, but I didn't want to do that. And so we were able to get the, the agreement in place to, to do it via the production company that I have with Jennifer. And so it, it's not a, a sports product. Um, I mean, all pods, all content, as we know, in this modern landscape is basically in competition with each other. And that's how they view it. And they're smart to view it that way. But, you know, they weren't going to block me doing a podcast about laughter or brothers or mental health and things like that, because, um, you know, ultimately if it's, if it's, if it promotes me, it's going to promote my work at ESPN. So 
Um, I, I, it wasn't a huge obstacle, although, again, I'm not crossing into their world. I'm not really telling, you know, I'm not covering sports weekly topics. Chris, are you uh, taping this from your home or are you doing this uh, from elsewhere? Um, I'm, I'm doing the pod wherever I happen to be, but I have an official microphone that clamps onto the desk. So I, I looked the part. I don't know what I'm doing yet, but I, I, I look like a <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> and then it gets sent off and it's edited, uh, put together in, in L.A. Octagon, which is the company that represents me, is kind of co-producing this. And they're involved in the production company as well. So it, it's a team effort. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do it from the office. Nice. Um, office. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. Uh, you know, the times I met your wife uh, – clearly the brains of the operation so it does have a chance of a success uh if she's involved you know, sp- spousal cooperation on a professional project is very interesting we've been married 20 years um she, she's very smart very strong-willed so we we have healthy exchanges of ideas it's a very interesting thing later in life to sort of involve your spouse in a professional thing i mean we're having fun with it and and, and she's contributed a lot to it and uh and it, it, sometimes it's a push pull but you want nothing less from a co-executive producer right you don't want that's, you don't want that's somebody, correct if you agree all the time it's not a great partnership you got to have that that Thank exchange of ideas right and for those who don't know chris's wife uh has been in television or was in television for many years jennifer dempster is uh uh if you just sort of google her you see her on um I think probably the ESPN's body shaping for people of uh, of of a certain age. So she she has a long career in in television. So Chris is uh, Chris. She ran honest. cameras at Sports Channel way back in the day when she was wow, in college. Sports, you know, it, sports it, Channel. So it, it, it's been on yes on both sides of the camera and worked at CBS too here in New York and and home shopping and a lot, a lot of things that involve producing her own stuff, which is where that comes in handy here because you know th- this whole podcast thing we're we're never really sure who's finding it, who's listening to it. We figure it's going to be sports fans, but I, I, I want to get beyond that. So having a, a really smart set of ears to listen to it and sort of make sure that we are um, as diverse as we should be with our points of view and our guests, that, that's, what's, that's what's important. I think the, the collaboration is cool. That's what's one of the things I love about TV is we've talked about this in the past, the number of smart people who put their talents together and that goes into a production um, it's so hard in the COVID era because we don't see each other face to face. It's all done via screens and cameras. But that for me has always been an important part of it. In other words, game day or a game. And now it's a much smaller group, but this podcast collaboration has been, has been a lot of fun too. I'm glad you mentioned, I mean, this is sort of a good segue because obviously we're all living uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, I've done multiple podcasts with other broadcasters and executives on how much, um, you know, how much this pandemic has obviously impacted broadcasting and uh, from logistics to medical protocol, et cetera. You, Chris, um, you know, you have the lead for ESPN's uh, college football game of the week. As a very broad uh, question, um, what, what adjustments have you had to make this year regarding calling college football? Well, large and small. I mean, I'll start with the granular and then get more broad, but in the booth, it's very different. Uh, my spotter's not with me. The stats guy's in another place. Kirk's six feet away, but we're still in the same booth, and we have 25 years of chemistry to draw upon. But everything else is, is different and challenging. We're adjusting, and it's, you're sort of looking at a bunch of monitors like you're at air traffic control. Everything is a source instead of a human being. My spotter is a monitor. Stats guys scribbling on an iPad, it shows up on a monitor. Eventually you got to look at the field. It's a challenging kind of re-education on how to do a game because everything is different. 
Um, obviously, our preparations all via Zoom. We don't go in and meet with the home team, and I miss that part of it desperately. I love sitting around a table and talking to players, hearing about their stories, seeing in their eyes how excited they are about the game. We're still doing it via Zoom, but it's not the same. And, and so there's a kind of a, a remoteness, uh, layers in between human beings connecting. All of our production meetings via Zoom, even when we're all in the same hotel on a Saturday morning, we're looking at our cameras and doing it that way. And I miss the social aspect of it. Having said all that, I'm extremely grateful to have games to call from the site because a lot of people don't have games to call. A lot of people are calling them from their office off the TV, which would be a real struggle and not what I signed up for. So gratitude is a part of every single day that we still have games to call. But we've all had to make adjustments to it. I mean, the travel is not what it is. It's uncomfortable. Um, and so it feels a little bit more like a job than it did before, which was just kind of, I'm living my dream. I can't believe I get paid for this kind of thing. There's a little bit more sweat and toil that goes into it because of, of just the inconvenience we're all dealing with in much more important arenas than, than sports broadcasting. Chris, what, uh, on a, on a, on a, on a specific broadcast level that you, if you want to sort of use the. Uh, like how you might do this technically, how how have you had to adjust with the lack of crowd noise? I, you, I know you've called games where there have been some crowd, but you know you're not calling ninety five thousand, a hundred thousand people at Penn State. So how does that how does that affect you? And because a lot of broadcasters that I've spoken to over the years, you know, like the energy of a crowd, like really is important to them. They they try to almost like a musician kind of roll with the crescendo. If, uh, if the crowd is going a certain way, how, how has that impacted you? It's impacted me in a big way. I mean, it's, it's not as much fun when you don't have that crowd energy to feed off of. And I'll, I'll start with this. The job is taxing mentally. It takes a lot of focus and concentration. You put a lot into the broadcast, just like the athletes put a lot into the game. And just like the athletes, just like the tennis players at the U S open, we weren't getting anything back from the crowd. You know, they, they were putting the normal energy out, but you don't get anything back. So you find yourself getting more tired. I, I'm, I'm more mentally drained at the end of a broadcast than I was before. I did a you know, five-set U.S. Open final. Sometimes you walk out of a, an event like that or a great college football game. I mean, you're just buzzing with energy. You can't go to sleep. You go home and you got to wind down, have a couple of drinks, play back in your head what you just saw, and then finally get to a place where you can lay down and sleep. It's, it's a lot easier to get to sleep because you don't have that same post-match, post-game buzz. There's just nothing coming back to you. So I have a sense of what it must be like for the athletes who are missing that component. Um, I, I think the energy during the broadcast it isn't hard to find because if you put your focus on the field or the court, and I've, I've been a viewer of all these, these, you know, pandemic sports. You know, I watched a lot of the NBA. I watched a lot of the NHL. Um, I watched a lot of tennis. I watched some of the baseball, watched a lot of NFL. And I see that on, on the field and on the court, the intensity is just the same. So you have to capture that as a broadcaster. You can't bring your energy down just because there's no crowd there. You're documenting an event and that event is still very intense. And the want to win factor from the athletes is still right there where it was before. So, yeah, you don't yell maybe quite as loud because you're not going up over 100,000 people. We're, we're doing the whiteout game at Happy Valley where it's the biggest gap between what, what could have, should have been and what is. 
That's the best atmosphere in college football. But now it's going to be silent per Big Ten rules. So that's going to be surreal. But we're figuring it out. Every week's a little different to answer your question. There's 20,000 people at, at stadiums in the South. There are a couple hundred friends and family in the Big Ten. So it's back and forth. But I got a really good baptism to it at the U.S. Open. I think football season would have been trickier. It would have been more of a mystery had I not had 14 days of calling matches in, a, in an empty Arthur Ashe Stadium. So I, I, I'm getting used to it, but I mean, I still want to go back to the days where the stadiums are full, even though getting out of stadiums post-game is a lot easier now than it used to be. <laughs> I'll say that. We, uh, yeah, it's a, it's so there's fun. no post-game traffic to deal with, which is nice in a college town because it used to be about two hours in a parking lot. Sometimes yeah. that's been the running joke basically for every uh, person who does <laughs> yeah. college football or, or, or the NFL. Um, the Chris, what is it? Uh, because I think people would be interested in how this happens when you get to an arena, uh, when you get to a stadium, I should say, um, are the protocols such where you, you go in in a mask, you walk immediately up to the broadcast booth. There's no hanging out in the, in the trucks. And then once you get to the broadcast booth, are you able to, to demask if you're social distance, like it, you know, whatever you're doing this year is literally like 180 degrees than what the job has obviously been for, for 25 years plus. Yeah, no doubt. And that changes week to week. I got used to some pretty strict protocols at the U S open constant testing. I mean, I think I had um, a, a swab up my nasal cavity. It seems like every day it wasn't quite that frequent, but we got used to the testing um, wearing masks everywhere except when you're on the air and, and the protocols were extremely strict. So we've seen that a little bit in college football. When you go to the pro stadiums, we, we called a, a Monday night game with the Steelers and Giants at MetLife, very strict. Um, even the U of M games at Hard Rock, they were using the same Dolphins protocol, very strict. You couldn't get from the, the entrance to the booth the normal way. You had to go around the stadium basically to avoid all the corridors and the spaces where the players might be. You cannot go to the field pregame, which is a very fun thing to do. You know, when you get to call these games, I'm not sure if the listeners realize this, you have the license to walk to the middle of the field and talk to the coaches, you know, half hour to kickoff. That's pretty cool. You can watch from very close range the quarterbacks and the kickers warm up. You can sense the vibe from the team. It was an important part of preparation at the last minute there. All that out the window. Can't get anywhere near the field. So I get to the stadium a lot later. I don't go to the truck because the company would prefer we not congregate in the truck. The broadcast teams who are in the trucks are much smaller than normal. It's pared down. And so I do go right to the booth. And, and it's, it's weird. Nothing about it is the same. They go to the booth. You, you hunker down. You, you mentally get into it. But it is, it is nothing like it used to be. And, and that is uh, it's an adjustment for sure. Do you um, – I mean – if you uh, if you had to guess right now, and it just would be uh, you know you sort of uh, doing a little bit of spitballing and doing a little of hypothesis, you think you think ultimately we get to the end here? Do you think there'll be a, a college football championship in some form come January? I do. I think there's a damn the torpedoes mentality that that there's too much money at stake, and I think they'll they'll be able to get to that, that four team bracket. Now it's going to be a bumpy ride between now and then. And we are already seeing, you know, the COVID spikes on all the places that are, uh, that are just getting up to speed with football in the big 10. Um, it remains a problem in the South. We'll have more of the games postponed and canceled. 
it'll be a difficult job, I think, at the end for the committee to look at maybe maybe not the first couple teams, maybe that fourth team, fifth team, who's in, who's out at the end, because we don't know if Ohio State's going to play eight games, six games. Is the Pac-12 even viable? Um, you know, what's what's going on in, in the SEC? Will they have a second team that's an obvious contender? It's going to be tough, but I think they'll get there. I was just talking to Jay Billis about college basketball. That seems even more fragile. I mean, right now, nobody even knows what the schedules are in college basketball. And how do you keep these guys? It was a smaller roster, but look at the impact the virus might have in a basketball team versus a football team. You get a few guys infected, it runs through a, a you know, half your team. You can't play. And so you're going to have all kinds of games canceled in flux. I think in football, you know, the, the margin for error is, is shrinking quickly. And now we've seen in the Big Ten, Wisconsin, Nebraska canceled, not postponed, canceled. There's no place to put it. Pac-12 has no place to put a rescheduled game. Hmm. And, and even in the other leagues, they're running out of space. So, uh, but I think they will get to, get to a four-team bracket and, and play it out. In, in the Rose Bowl with a very small crowd and in the, uh, in the soup, in the uh, Superdome with a small crowd. And then they'll have it in, uh, in, in Miami. I think the latest is about uh, maybe about 20%. Um, the play, they're not going to go by what the, what the governor of Florida says, which is like pack the house. That's not going to happen for the Super Bowl over the championship game, which are both in the state of Florida. So they're, they're still trying to figure it out. They, they won't make a decision or an announcement until they feel they absolutely have to based on the current data. But, but yeah, I think we'll get there to answer your question. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, let's finish up with the the NFL. You you and Kirk have called two NFL games this year as we speak, correct? We we tried to call two, but they canceled the Patriots. Oh, that's right. One of my yeah, <laughs> yeah. I keep forgetting. You're right. You called one NFL game. We were and they there. We were there that's looking right. at Gillette Stadium out the hotel room window, and again the phone started buzzing on on Sunday morning. Even we we had arrived from Clemson that's the right. previous the previous night. We flew out post game, got there at four a.m., and then at seven thirty. Adam Schefter, the Boston Globe, are reporting games off. All right, well, we we, we prepped, we were ready, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's it was. Um, we did get to call that that opening game with the Giants and Steelers, which was a fun experience. So let me ask you a couple things about that. I appreciate you. Correct, I forgot you, you actually never did end up doing that game. Um, so first, it's a blur off, for me too, man. Yeah. It's a blur. So first off, just again, uh, writ large question: um, What did you think of the experience? It was, it was fun. I mean, it was a challenge because it came right off the back of 14 days in the USTA bubble. And we called two really compelling U.S. Open finals, a three-set final for the women, a five-set for the men. So they, all, they both go the distance. And, and I come off that match and come home, and I'm, I'm watching these Zoom calls with Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Tomlin, and the Steelers. I didn't even get to participate in those live because they were right during the final. And then you cram all, all Sunday night and all Monday and, and go out and do your first ever NFL game. And, you know, thankfully, our, our production team was together from, from ABC Saturday night. Kirk and I have a lot of years together, as I said. So 
that piece at least worked. But, you know, it's so different. The rhythm of the game is different. Um, it was actually kind of neat to have a chance to call Ben Roethlisberger throwing a touchdown pass because some of the, some of the characters in the game, Saquon Barkley, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, you know, Der- Dexter Lawrence, we, we were very familiar. We, we called them within the last few years. But Ben, nah, I didn't really call a lot of math games when he was in college. So <laughs> it was so cool. You know, Roethlisberger touchdown pass. I mean, here's an icon, a legend, and and that was neat. That's what that's what you get a taste of when you when you do these NFL games. You get to talk about Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Gronkowski and and these these twelve fifteen year veterans of football, and that's kind of fun. That that's not an experience you get in college with a revolving door of personnel. And I found it fun. Um, I, I love a challenge. It was certainly extremely challenging circumstances to, to make our debut, but uh, people seemed to enjoy it. I felt okay about it. It wasn't, wasn't an A-plus broadcast, but um, I had managed expectations going in, and I just really wanted to enjoy the experience and, and not, not sweat the implications, if you know what I mean. One of the, uh, one of the things that was pretty extraordinary, and if, if you didn't see it uh, like right afterwards, you, you certainly were informed it, I'm sure, by people, but the response to you and Kirk doing this game on social media, particularly on Twitter, was unbelievable. I mean, that is not a medium that, uh, um, you know, necessarily you express, <laughs> expresses love on a daily basis, Chris, as you know. But that, yeah, it's an that, understatement. Yeah, that um, th- the response to you guys calling that game was, I mean, nothing is universally positive, but pretty close. And so I wonder... Um, I guess one, were you were, when you were informed of that, like what was your reaction? And two, has to make you feel pretty good. I mean, this was a first time out for you guys, and people seem to really, really like what you guys did. Yeah, it feels good. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I got in the car and met life and, and came back into New York, and I didn't really peek too much at social media. I was just trying to recover and decompress. And then I came back and I watched you know, Steve Levy, Lewis Riddick, and Brian Greasy, our, our main Monday night team, do the back half of the doubleheader. So I, I was, I became a fan and a viewer. Those guys did a great job. I'm fully supportive of them. They are the Monday night team and they should be given a chance to grow and gel and, and do a great job. And I, I hope they have nothing but close games. Um, we're not in competition with them. I didn't view it that way. And some people might've, but that certainly wasn't my mindset, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was taught a long time ago being in this, in this business and being surrounded by coaches that, you got to be really careful taking to heart praise, even when it's heaped on, just the same way as you don't want to let criticism destroy you. You know, Chip Kelly has the saying that praise and blame are the same. It's kind of glib, it rhymes, but the point is don't allow yourself to be carried along by, by praise if, if criticism is going to bury you and destroy your self-esteem. And I, so I, I sort of live in the equilibrium in the middle of that. I, I don't, if I felt I did a, a crappy job, if I'd have felt shitty in the car, Richard coming across the river through the Lincoln tunnel, I don't care how many people loved it. I would have been unhappy. And, and, and the same goes in reverse. You know, if I thought I did called a good game and our production was solid, people didn't like it. Okay. I'm, I'm meeting my own standard. I think I know what works. You have to please the customer. And in this case, I'm, I'm really happy the customer liked it because the opposite would have been no good. And I, because my, the, my employer thought was pleased with what we did. And they asked us to do this. 
um, take on this challenge. And it was important to them that we do it. And so they were, uh, the, the feedback was great from them. And that made me feel good. I'm not going to lie, but you know, it is what it is. It's ultimately, I, I wanted to, I wanted to meet, meet my own standards. So. I appreciate that. And uh, so I want to just ask you sort of two questions because obviously this sort of, um, th- this was talked about after you guys did the game. Do, do you, as it stands now, do you have any long-term interest calling the NFL? Do you have any long-term interest calling the NFL with Kirk? And I understand that, you know, you know, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're publicly, um, you know, sort of setting up some kind of competition with the current Monday Night Football crew. But there were certainly there were certainly um, people after your performance who were like, these guys are really good. Would they ever have an interest in in doing the NFL? So I just want to ask you directly. Yeah, I, I don't mind answering directly either. I mean, yeah, it, it interests me in, in that I love football and I always have. Now, I preferred college over the NFL throughout my career. I've had much more experience doing it, but I've always been a fan of the NFL and it's football at the highest level. And there's a lot of things about it that intrigue me. Um, but that doesn't mean I want to take over Monday Night Football because I didn't and I don't. Um, you know, we, I, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing. I'm living the dream. Tennis and college football are my two favorite sports. We have the championship events in both. That's I'm ridiculously grateful for that. I'm not looking to change. I don't consider it a promotion to go from what I do now to Monday Night Football, and I don't think others do either. Um, it just depends on your mindset. But the NFL is a massively important property to my company. I mean, massively, the most important, right? So the landscape ahead may change, and there may be opportunities. And I would never, ever close myself off to any opportunity, especially one that is really rewarding and fun. So I'm not going to do that. Um, and I, we had a taste of it. I expected it to be a one-off. We had a chance to do a second game. That didn't happen. There may be more cancellations. Um, Jennifer doesn't think it's tasteful to refer to us as the FEMA NFL broadcast team because they do, they do a lot of right. serious work for real disasters. But I yeah. kind of felt like that. We, we get the call to, to kind of airlift in and, and help out if we can in the short term. And then we go back to doing what we're doing. But whether it happens again or not, and we had the one experience and going forward. Yeah, of course, I'd be open to it because it, it, it's not about what the current NFL TV landscape is. It's about where it's going and what what might be out there in the future. So, um, I, like I said, I, I have if I if I did, you know, I hate to put a number on it because I don't want to do this beyond the time that I really love it the way I do now. But if I did 10 more years of college football and never did an NFL game, I'd be thrilled. I'd be, it'd be awesome. I hope you keep the playoff, to be honest with you. I mean, there's, there's a lot of moving pieces in all this. And, and um, you know, it, it's how does it fit into the bigger picture of a career? So I, I'm, I'm never going to shut myself off from potential opportunity, but I'm really thrilled with doing what I'm doing now. Uh, the last question I want to ask you, Chris, because I feel like you've been pretty good at this, um, is, you know, we are in obviously a uh, – we're in a very heated world right now, very politicized world and um you know you i I feel like you're someone who um whether on social media or elsewhere um is maybe apolitical is not the right way to explain it but you're not someone who necessarily will put any kind of feelings about how you feel about politics or or social issues etc and i i think it'd just be interesting for my audience to sort of hear how you've how you have approached this because there are certainly some of your colleagues who are um, very open about how they feel uh, about certain issues. I feel like ESPN as a company, I give them a lot of credit. I feel like they've been a little more lenient in the last six months about 
not cracking down so much on people's uh, passions and opinions on social media. But, but but by and large, I feel like you've been, yeah, yeah you're, it's, it's not something, it's not a place that you've necessarily delved into publicly. And I, I'm always just curious about if you have some kind of philosophy, you obviously have your personal feelings, but if you have a philosophy publicly, how to approach this stuff. Yeah, I've avoided it. Um, you're right. I, I don't put things that are political into my social media. I, I try not to talk about it publicly. Um, you know, I think because politics should have a different meaning and a different temperature than they used to. We're not talking about politics anymore where we're debating tax policy or some aspect of foreign policy. As you know, it's so supercharged and so toxic and so tribal that what, what, what politics are now is really um, almost feels like a, a, a cultural civil war. And I'm not going to get involved in that in my social media. People have hair trigger passions about it on both sides. It's best not to provide content that sparks that. I'd rather be a, a, a diversion from it. I'm very politically inclined in my private life. I follow the stuff a lot. I do have strong opinions. Um, you know, you wouldn't have to be a, a forensic scientist maybe to figure out, you know, where I stand on, on some things, but I don't put it out there. I, I think that where, where I've stepped across a little bit is, is the COVID, you know, issue and trying to stay healthy. And I don't think it should be a political statement to wear a mask and follow the rules. I don't feel like I'm above the rules. I, I follow them. I talk about masks. I talk about uh, COVID as it relates to sports and trying to keep the proper perspective in place and keep people safe and not throw them out there uh, with, with undue risk to make money. I've talked a lot about that really since March on Instagram in long form videos where I can really give an opinion. It's really hard on Twitter. And it, it's not my, it, you know, I'm not going to do it on ESPN. But Instagram is a place where you can sort of do a, you know, a, a vlog, for lack of a better word, and, and, and sh share your opinions in a long form way. But I'm always going to be measured and reasonable. I'm never going to try to be a hot take artist or, or pound the table to make a point. I try to offer perspectives based on what other people who are smarter on the issue have told me. It's not strictly opinion driven, although I will offer opinions that, you know, that I, I don't think are should be political. You know, social justice. I try to give voices to people, young athletes who have something to say about this. Did a 15-minute video on Instagram with a guy that I got to know when he played at Clemson, um, Tremaine Ankrum, who's very smart on, on these issues and has a lot of personal experience. Now, that's viewed as political by some people because I've dared to mention Black Lives Matter. I don't see it that way. I, I see it as, as just basic human decency and giving a forum to somebody who's really giving his opinion but I'm just using my platform to do it. And, and to talk about the, the late John Saunders, who was a mentor of mine in a lot of things, including his ideas about race. And I, I've, I've been hearing stories that people are coming out with. You know, this is 25 years ago from my friend. At the time when I was naive and didn't understand what, what his experiences were growing up in Canada and America as a black man. And so it, talking about things like that have become political. And that's too bad because I think essentially they're not political issues. They're, they're issues of human dignity and, and justice and human rights. But, but they, they are so supercharged that people so quickly draw sides and draw conclusions that are incorrect when you dare to open your mouth about that. And how can you ignore that issue and COVID and be a human being walking around in this world right now? I, I can't, but I don't, I'm not doing it to be political at all.
I, I appreciate you answering that, Chris. Thank you very much. Uh, sure. Chris Fowler is the lead college football and uh, tennis voice for ESPN. As um, we mentioned at the top of this podcast, he himself has a new podcast, Fowler, Who You Got, where he'll do um, some long-form examinations of uh, and interviews of, of different subjects that uh, appeal to him. Head to iTunes um, or Stitcher and Google Play. I assume, Chris, is, your, your podcast is on all these uh, forums, and uh, you can subscribe and check it out. Just looked at the reviews. Um, they're phenomenal right now. So w- <laughs> good job by your family and cousins, Chris, to get ah, on there. There you go, Richard. You know all the secrets. <laughs> <laughs> to drop those five-star ratings, as all podcast people will tell you. Make sure you get some momentum there. Um, but I wish you, uh, Chris, the, the best of luck with this. I think it's going to be a great forum for you. And uh, um, as somebody who has a podcast that's, uh, even though it's related to what I write about, it's just such a creative enterprise where you can sort of do something on your own away from your your employers, and I, I know you will, uh, you will really enjoy that. So I wish you nothing but uh, the best of success with that. And um, and thanks as always for coming on. And I'm, and I'm sure our paths will uh, will cross soon. Yeah, you're very kind to promote it. I appreciate that, and, and I enjoy your work too here because it's you, you, people see it, hear a different side of you, and that is, that's what's fun. We're not just like uh, cardboard cutouts like you see in the stands these days. We're well rounded, and that's what the podcast uh, gives us all a chance to show. So I appreciate that's, the support. You got it. Thanks, Chris. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right. As I said at the top, Jordan Cornette and Shea Pepler Cornette co-host ESPN Radio's game day each Sunday during the NFL season from 1 to 5. If you're listening to ESPN Radio uh, on an NFL Sunday, you have heard them. Um, It is believed, they can correct me if I'm wrong, but they are believed to be the first married couple to co-host an ESPN radio show. It would be interesting to know how many married couples have done um, any kind of national sports talk you know, with quotes over national, it's probably not many. And so uh, that makes them uh, uh, really unique as a couple. They also have separate um, uh, careers in terms of Shea uh, was a uh, sportscaster in Chicago at a big station there. Jordan works uh, uh, for the ACC network, I believe, and has done uh, Big Ten Network and CBS Sports Network as well. But now they've landed at ESPN. And uh, they've moved from Chicago to Fairfield, which, I mean, seems to be the dream of a lot of people these days. And so, um, Jordan and Shay, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Hey, thanks for having us, Richard. We're thrilled to be with you. Yeah, we are. All right. All right. So, usually I say, hey, you know, I'll address this to one of you, but since it's you, it's very easy to tell your voices apart, this will be very, very good to me. All right. So, Shay, I want to start with you. Um, what does it mean to you to sort of be part of a first and if nothing else, you are absolutely the first married couple to co-host an ESPN radio show, which, you know, in 2020, it's pretty interesting to have any first in sort of broadcasting, and you guys are that. So I wonder, um, it's a very open-ended question, just sort of like, you know, when you when you learned that, what was your thought? Um, well, 
I thought this is cool and this is a real opportunity for us to do something that no one else has done, clearly. Jordan and I are very similar, but we're very different in our personalities. Obviously, you can tell we're both very outgoing, very outspoken. We're passionate, passionate about sports, passionate about things in life. We both don't take ourselves too seriously, have a good sense of humor, on and on and on. But in the ways that we're different, it, obviously, we have different views on different things. We look very different. We react to sports very different. Um, we're passionate about different teams. I'm from Chicago. He's from Cincinnati originally. So, you know, there are those natural arguments when we are on radio together that we have in our house because we're so comfortable with each other. I think when you start working with someone, it takes a little time for you to get to a point where you feel like you can really push someone else's buttons or you can really say something to them that upsets them, but you don't want to go too far. And we all have been there before. Well, with him and I, I can say whatever I want. I don't care if he's mad at me. He's got to go home with me anyways. So, so we, from the jump had that kind of relationship over the airwaves that our bosses and everyone that's listened so far have told us is really rare. Even in our text message, like an hour ago, we had with our boss, you know, I responded before Jordan and made some snide joke. And Jordan's like, I mean, this is so like, we're arguing via text with our boss. It's just a different kind of relationship. And um, it's cool. It's special. This is my first time being on ESPN radio. Um, I, national, that is, I did ESPN radio in Chicago, but this is my first time doing national radio at ESPN. I, I do Sirius XM NFL radio, but obviously not with my husband. So it's kind of a few firsts for me, but definitely really cool to be working with my husband and being able to do something that no one has done at ESPN before, which as you said, Richard is like very, very, very rare nowadays. Richard, you said you wanted this to be 30 minutes, right? I mean, I, <laughs> that first answer, we may be well on our way to 90 minutes. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. I say, I, I just, I say that as a guideline, Jordan, usually. And then a wedding know, speech. A, under five, keep it's it under a pod, five. It's a podcast. So we allow yeah. you for a little bit of length, but the same question, um, the same question to you. I mean, when you learned of this, whoever ended up telling you, uh, what was your reaction? What was your reaction to be part of a first? To be honest, I was kind of thinking, finally, like <laughs> in my opinion, when, when we made the move out here, uh, very selfless of Shay to give up all that she had established with her career in Chicago and say, Hey, Jordan got this great shot. I have faith in Jordan's career and where that can take him. But I also have a strength faith in my own career. Speaking of hers to think I can leave behind Fox 32, a show on Fridays covering the Bears, being on the Bears beat, Bulls, Cubs, Sox, Blackhawks, all that in the hometown where my family, my robust family, because there's a ton of uh, Shay's family there who watch her, I can leave that behind and go somewhere else and, and do something special. Again, I got faith that just because I've lost this job, I or saying goodbye to this job, I can go somewhere else and rock out. And um, I knew that that was possible on her individual abilities but I also was like if if people are paying attention they'll see that me and her have something special together and give us an opportunity and I was always patient with that I never really pushed it um, to anybody I was just like let's just see if they connect the dots and to the credit of the people on ESPN radio side they got wind of her ability saw what I could do and put us in this position and I think of a, a Darius Rucker song that's become a favorite of mine because Shay's kind of turned me into a country music fan but when was the last time you did something for the first time <laughs> is one of his songs. It's the hook on one of them. And it's true. I mean, when do you get the chance to say uh, as you get older in age that you're doing something for the first time? And yeah. for us, there's some trepidation early on, but I think we've really found a, a fun groove by simply being ourselves. Uh, Jordan, uh, I'll start with you here. Um, how would you describe your on-air chemistry? And is your on-air chemistry 
something unique and different than whatever your chemistry is in your in your real life? That's a that's a good question, and I would say because we're on a podcast, it's uh it's real as fuck. I mean, that's <laughs> our chemistry. Uh, you see the places where oh, those two know each other. Um, so they can finish these other sentences. This thing just organically goes. But you see those spots where it goes skirt and comes to a halt where Jordan talked over Shea too much or Shea said something there and took a shot at him. And that got him going a little bit. We let our relationship play out mm-hmm. like a married couple does. I mean, we're going to lean into what we are. I mean, we are two sports fans who love what's playing out in front of us that are married and that are around each other now 24-7. So sometimes that rears its ugly head, which makes for beautiful radio. Uh, sometimes it's just fun to listen to two people who have that chemistry. Because let's be honest, that's what the suits are looking for when they pair people together in TV, in radio, in anything. Do these two have chemistry? Well, hello, we exchanged vows a year and a half ago. Of course I hope we have that. And we'll just let it ride out. And in this business, and you know this, in covering this thing and Um, all the work you do, Richard, is it's so much a lot of times about, do you like the people that you're listening to? Uh, You are judged in this business about if you're liked and if that endears itself to people. And we just go out there and say, this is who we are. This is our relationship. Do you see similarities? Do you love it? Do you hate it? And if you enjoy it, ride along with us. Shay, the same thing for you. How would you define or describe your on-air chemistry versus um, whatever it is off air? Yeah, exact same, which has gotten us in trouble a few times to the point where our, our boss is, <laughs> has come in the room because we record our, our radio show at ESPN, yeah. it, you know, on campus because we have to have all the TVs in front of us at a one o'clock start time. I mean, there's normally seven, eight, nine games going on at once. So, you know, there's been points where our bosses or producer have come in during the breaks like, all right, let's, you know, let's tone it down a little like want to talk about it in the break. You guys can get it out here or, you know. Jordan, don't make a sexual innuendo again, oh, please. Geez. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so I would say our, our on-air chemistry is very similar to what you're getting now or what you get at home. If It's funny because, you know, a lot of times when you watch a game with someone, I, I find, even if it's with, you know, friends or with another couple or with my family, you take away some things that people say. Well, when we watch a game together, we're just being ourselves and we, we talk about what we see, but that's ultimately our prep for our radio show too. So it's kind of just like our life carries over with a microphone in front of our mouths. This, this may have happened in Chicago. When was the first time you worked together on air? Yeah, it was at ESPN 1000. Um, well, no, we worked together on here when we met. Oh, yeah, snap. Go. I thought in radio it would be at ESPN yeah. 1000. Yeah, well, let's start with radio, and then you can tell me television as well. So radio, uh, ESPN 1000, did yeah. that just uh, – was that just happenstance, basically, that you, you, you happened to be on the same show or shift or whatever? It was – Well, go ahead. Well, want... I, was, uh, I was working yeah. there twice a week, two to three times a week with David Kaplan, who gave me – uh, my first real big break in terms of kind of going yeah. in somewhat of mainstream in that local uh, sphere there in Chicago, uh, which is provincial as it is, uh, mm-hmm. Chicago Talk Sports Talk Radio is huge. And David right. Kaplan had a great platform, brought me in, forever thankful for that. And during the holidays, you know how it goes, the, the big dogs take their time off. And mm-hmm. that's when Jim Pastor, who at the time was running the shop there, and Adam Delavitt said, hey, let's throw Shay in. She's doing Fox 32. She has a built-in following covering the Bears. Let's pair these two together and have a fun week over Thanksgiving and over Christmas. And we got a lot of good feedback. I mean, even the trolls who usually come at you with the hate, 
there was some of that, but most of it was, this is refreshing. This is unique. This is fun. And that's kind of where we knew, Hey, if we ever get a chance to do this again, we can really, really grow and build off of that. Yeah. That, so, and what, when was that? What, what year was that? Or when? Uh, so 2018, 2018. 2018. Oh, so prior to you guys being married. Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. We weren't, I don't even know if we were engaged yet. We weren't even engaged at that. Yeah. Point. We weren't even engaged, but we were living together and dating, but we, um, we weren't even engaged at that point. So we did that. And then prior to that, we had both worked where we met, which is now stadium. But at the time it was campus insiders and we both covered college basketball. So we had been on games together or had done some segments together. And that's where we really started to work together. But, um, radio was done at ESPN 1000. Yeah. So at stadium, Shay, were you um, were you doing uh, game stuff, studio stuff, and Jordan? I'm assuming I shouldn't assume, but you were either a studio analyst or a game analyst. What were you guys What were you guys doing at stadium when you first met? Yeah, so at stadium, I I did everything. I uh, I hosted. I did sidelines for games. Um, we even produced. We dabbled in producing a little bit. I mean, we I I did everything there. I'm just going to speak for him to answer the question. He sure. um, was a color analyst on games there, and also was a studio analyst. So Stadium was a great place for both of us um, because we got to do so much. I covered both college football and college basketball. He dabbled in college football, also did college it was, basketball. Yeah, it was definitely low risk, high reward. Yeah, because it was being treated as an ESPN FS1 broadcast um but it was digitally and that yeah. audience was still being um cultivated really at that point and so for us we really got to sharpen a tool set mm -hmm. while working off of each other because a lot of it richard where we do segments and pump them out in the market uh, on the internet and it was me and her being able to be a little goofy have a little bit of fun experiment with things and that's really where that chemistry grew professionally which inevitably kind of bled into Hey, I wonder if I can take this woman out for a drink and get to know her uh, outside of that. And that's where everything kind of blossomed was there. What was then Campus Insiders, what is now Stadium. Yeah. How, how did you um, at that time, because this is pretty interesting, just in sort of uh, broadcast journalism. How did you navigate um, dating while working together on air? And did you have to inform your bosses? You know, there's a very sort of tricky terrain a lot of times. Obviously, you guys have ended up being married. You now work together. It's a little bit different. Everybody knows you're married and work together. But when you're not, you know, when you're not married, that could be a little tricky depending on how an organization feels about it, uh, how transparent you want to be about your private life with, um, you know, with your own with your own place that you work. So, how did you guys handle that uh, before? Obviously, you ended up being married. Well, yeah, and it's it's also incredibly. Um, unique of a circumstance because in that time frame, uh, I think people looked at some of the workplace behavior a little bit differently and, and they look at it more sharply now than they did then as they should. Right. And it's not like we crossed any boundaries. There was definitely no harassment that played a role in, but I think in 2020, if Shay was a woman that I was working with and I had that interest, I don't even know if I'd broach uh, presenting that kind of uh, idea in my head because of what the workplace is and the lens in which it's viewed now. And I, I think that's also, in my opinion, a good thing. But in that time, the chemistry was just inevitable where it was both of us mutually, I would like to think, right, that wanted to pursue something. In, and we definitely let our bosses know. And I was coming up towards the end of my contract at that time, honestly. Um, so it never really became too much of a thing because I was moving on to a better opportunity um, regardless of what happened with me and Shay that kept me in Chicago 
kept our relationship protected, but we never got into a place where, okay, how are we going to navigate this thing for the next year or two working together? I would say too, by the time we had started dating, we had both already been at Campus Insiders for a few years. So we had established good relationships with our bosses and our coworkers as two separate people. Um, You know, we had been there for a few years. So when we decided to start dating, we definitely kept it under wraps until we knew it was something that was going to be serious. And then we dramatically took like some of our coworkers and our boss out to lunch and, and made a bigger and deal about it. Anybody gave a yeah. shit. Like exactly. they're like, we already figured this was going We're like, on. Uh, I, I, we had gone on a trip somewhere and everyone kind of put two and two together that we went together, but we didn't tell anyone. So after that, we had to spill the beans a little yeah, bit. Yeah. 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 How do you guys find, um, uh, for those who only learn that you are married, like after hearing you, like, have you, have you got any feedback when people sort of, learn that you're a married couple as opposed to just being a man and a woman doing uh, the sports radio show. I, I just honestly think it's so obvious in, in a, in a three minute listening session of our, our show. I just think it just pops up and we don't beat you over the head with it, but I honestly think Richard, when you turn us on for the first time on a Sunday, which I hope does happen at some point, (laughs) (laughs) what you do, I think you'll listen and you'll say, there's more to these two. Like there's something there that they got to be dating. They got to be married. If not, they need to be uh, because just how we communicate right from the jump, it just sounds different. I can promise you that. Yeah. And and in terms of being, you know, I think there's a little bit of ego probably with each one of us anyways, because we started in this business on our own, maybe a little more so for me, because like my last name is changing. I've changed cities. I've You're changed really jobs. On that name I'm not hung up on that name I'm pointing it out. It. I, think I it's know. A bonus I'm just, outdated thing. No, I'm just pointing it out. It also <laughs> establishes that we're married on the radio, so it's fine. But it is a little bit more of an identity change for me than it is for Jordan. So it, you know, there are moments where I'm like, well, I hope everyone remembers I got here on my own first, but honestly, uh, the reward is, is so much better than that thought process anyways. So it's, it's fine. But there was, there are moments in time where I have to remind myself, I got myself to this place on my own. <laughs> and, that, and that's very true. I think that's also a cool thing for us too, is in all the, the duos and partners and teams that you've covered and we've watched over our time in this business, inevitably ego does come up a little bit, no matter how great the personalities and the character of them, it's just human nature. And for us, it truly doesn't happen. I don't see how it could happen because a win for my wife, the person I love as much as anything in this world is a win for me. And that really is the truth. So there's no, well, I can't let her get too much shine or I don't want him to get too much shine. Like we are one entity doing this thing. So I think it eliminates something that can creep into any relationship uh, partnership on air professionally, that's eliminated for us. And that is very refreshing. And one bank account, one bank account, Richard. That's always also, nice. That's a nice thing. Which easy easy banking. I went kicking and screaming on the one account thing, but yeah. here we are. Yeah. It's, 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 pre, it's pretty, that's a, you generally speaking, a, 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 um, a, uh, newly married thing. It's hard to give up the, uh, the solo bank accounts or to, or to go joint, but you got to do it yeah. for, uh, for those who have not heard your radio show, how would you describe it? Well, it's on NFL Sundays and it starts right as games kick off. So if you are driving in your car, it's the best way to be updated on what's going on. If you can't visually see what's going on, we like to call ourselves kind of like a radio version of Red Zone with a little bit of relationship flair with a little bit of personality. Right. (laughs) So there's still a little bit of that sports talk radio in there. But naturally, we also have to fill you in on what's going on, what the touchdowns are, injuries or game leads changes or whatever else. So. 
Um, it's a little bit of everything. And I think that's why it's been successful, right? There's personality, there's sports talk radio, there's score updates. It's the NFL, which everyone's interested in. Um, and we've got guests from time to time. So it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, It's kind of like, yeah, it's one of those like morning, like one of those morning show feels like a yeah. heck, like a good morning football type of vibe. It's casual, right? Meets red zone meets just sports talk radios. And like, we try to let our personalities come out where they can, but we also want people to know, Hey, like, okay, your, your bears are done playing, but you're in the car, you're listening to the radio and you just want to keep up on scores for your, your gambling reasons or just for your fandom or for your fantasy. We're hitting you with all that while still giving you sports talk. And there's not a lot of shows on Sundays that are giving you live sports talk radio like that. So I think we've carved out a nice piece of the corner for people to come listen to us on Sundays. Yeah. How do you, uh, how have you defined um, sort of who brings the show in and out of breaks, who leads, who, um, who serves maybe as sort of a traditional, uh, maybe analyst isn't even the right word in radio, but you sort of know what I say. Ultimately, when it comes to a radio show for anybody who's been in radio, someone has to drive the show. Someone has to drive the show in and out. Um, mm-hmm. Do you guys flip? Is it one of you or how do you do that? That's that's that was probably the, the biggest question coming in because I, I can very easily drive a show. I've done, I had the opportunity to do that a lot at ESPN. Shay's driven everything she's been a part of, including right. a relationship in a household. <laughs> uh, so given that fact, she's always even when we worked together back in the beginning, she was always headstrong about I'm just most confident working with you when I have a a leading voice, when I'm driving it, because you go anywhere and you're also good at picking up wherever I go, let me drive whatever we do. And I was always hesitant about that. I was like, but I like driving too. This was a push and pull. Like anything, it's compromise. And when we did the first show, I, we split it. And then I just, at the end of that show, I was like, this kind of sucked. Like you're meant to be driving. And when you drive, it allows you to do what you excel at most. And I can do either one of them. And I, I, I like playing off of you. I think you do a great job taking us where we need to go. I, like in life, it sounds lame, but she leads the way and I'm following along. And I think it's really worked. We found a good formula. Yeah. Let's, let's just be honest. I didn't play basketball. I didn't play football. That wasn't my MO. I grew up, I love sports. I've covered them for a long time now. I can hang with the best of them with any of them, but I didn't play the game. And I, I, and this doesn't matter. Women can do and cover and be an analyst for anything. But my preference is he has a perspective I don't have. So if I can set him up for that, and I have opinions, like, don't get me wrong. I will give them too on the radio. Don't mind our dog. We got our, our dog, Toby, over here going nuts. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Like it. Mind our, welcome to our house. Um, so I've got opinions. Don't get me wrong. But I would rather have a perspective from Jordan, me tee him up for that, who's lived in it and been in those locker rooms and has played, you know, or college basketball at the highest level and has been around these athletes in settings I haven't been. So I just thought it was the best that's, recipe but, for success. That's all bullshit. I didn't play in the National Football League. I mean, it's not the – No, but you know, you know some I, of these players. I, I think we know the equal amount. I just think she's trying to cover for the fact she's really good at driving a show. She drives a show. It works. And the story. I mean, that's really what it is. It, no, it I, appreciate, I appreciate both of your answers there. How much, um, how much is sports a part of your day-to-day relationship outside of – um, when you're on the air outside of when you're prepping or working, like, is it, is it always a constant or is there, or, or do you want to escape it ever? Do you want to not, is it, or is it not part of it? I don't want to make any assess, I, you know, for, I'm sure for some couples, it's a massive part. 
if they're in sports and maybe for others, it's not, what is it for you? This is becoming like a Dr. Phil for us a little bit, because this is kind <laughs> of where we battle the most, right? Yeah. It's like trying to realize when that moment we've hit the threshold of it's too much, it's too much sports talk. Like sh- any, thing we do we're always trying to get better so we'll mm-hmm. we'll watch it back we'll we'll criticize each other uh lack of better word we'll critique each other i think it's more accurate yeah. and it, there comes a point where shay's just like all right enough like let's let's get away from it we don't need to talk about you know how we did this or where we can be better or what our next step is like let's turn on the kardashians or the bachelorette or, or let's watch a dumb movie now let's- don't let him do that he likes the bachelorette as much as i do okay i, I, I don't like the kardashians <laughs> that, I don't go that far. that's fair it's mindless um, it's mindless but we too. have stuff to get away because we have to and, and it can consume us because we love the medium and we're always looking to get better and we always wanted to be doing this so we're blessed to be doing it but there comes a point where you got to immerse yourself in other things because we do have other passions we are yeah. not the people that are so wired by sports and making it in this thing or our lives won't mean anything. That is not us. And we make sure to not be that because then it takes, sucks a lot of the fun out of what is already a great thing. Honestly, sports. I mean, we we have sports on all the time. If we're eating dinner, it's on in the background. If I'm making dinner, it's on in the background. It's, it's definitely a part of our everyday life. Like my mom, my mother comes to visit us and she is not a sports fan. She's like, can we turn this off? It's on 24 hours a day. But I will say when we like go out for dinner, or we have some alone time. I'm like, okay, phones down. Like we don't need to be checking Twitter. If there's breaking news, we'll get an alert. And like, let's not talk about anything that has to do with work or sports for the next hour. Like you got to have that escape because otherwise it drives you nuts, especially working together now. I mean, you could talk all day long about things you could do better or worse or an opinion. You, um, given that you're now, uh, part of the, uh, ESPN ecosystem, <laughs> um, you know, on the one hand, there's a lot of opportunities, um, to do stuff. On the other hand, it's very competitive and mm-hmm. we're also in the middle of a pandemic and that's probably going to impact, uh, dollars and assignments and everything else. Um, but you've made the commitment obviously to be in Connecticut and this is what you want. So Shay, I'll first start with you. Um, since you're, probably status is obviously maybe not as uh um if i call it sort of permanent right as jordan's basically so what what is it what is your given that you did have a you know you you worked at a uh well-known place in chicago and had a really really good career going there and you made this leap what is what is your hope um when it comes to let's say espn or at least somewhere in that area in terms of uh professionally um, well, my hope is to be full-time covering sports on an everyday basis, hopefully at ESPN or at a network level in the very near future. Uh, look, I, I know what I signed up for when I left. Yeah, I had carved out a really good career in the city I grew up in, in Chicago. But when Jordan and I got married, look, I did, it wasn't a surprise what industry he was in and vice versa. And right. we made a pack like, hey, whoever gets it first or gets that dream job first, like the others got to kind of go with the flow. And he was first. So I was like, okay, let's go. And if the roles were reversed. I'd hope he would say, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I figured if I'm good at my job and if I, you know, stay on top of things, like eventually it'll come. Look, no one's in an ideal situation right now. I don't care what job you have or what industry you're in, unless you're making toilet paper, really like things are probably not going the way you expected it to go. So, 
I, I am just trying to be patient and I am just trying to, you know, roll with the punches. I'm lucky enough to have a radio gig, obviously with my husband, but then also one with Sirius XM that I can do from my house. And, um, I'm still in it. I'm still on, you know, I'm very much involved in the NFL. I'm still doing things with major league baseball and, and basketball and things like that. Cause we do cover that on our show as well. So, um, if I can just stay in it and kind of ride the wave, hopefully when all things start turning around, like. I'm good enough where I'll get that full-time opportunity. And Jordan, your situation is just a little bit different in that um, you, uh, you know, Shay sort of mentioned this. You 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 played college basketball, but um, I think you're smart enough and you're well aware that you know you're not Scottie Pippen and yeah. you're not Paul Pierce, and you can't necessarily get a job. I'm not saying these guys did, but you can't necessarily walk into a room or walk into a job where people might hire you just on name only. And so um, how do you sort of see the prospects at ESPN when you have a nice landing spot at the moment, at the same time, incredibly competitive and incredibly competitive against uh, people who, you know, who are going to come into that ecosystem with, you know, more star and, and a bigger name and, 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 and bigger lights at least prior to going on the air? Yeah, and and it's a fair question. It's it's been in the forefront of my mind the minute I decided this was going to be my business. So I can't go back and and score two thousand more points in college. Right. Uh, I can't go back and get drafted. Shit, I wish I could. Uh, be in a lot better shape too. Um, but for me, it's it's when you can identify when you have that self awareness, it is really to your advantage. And what you just said, Richard, something I'm keenly aware of. So knowing that. I always said to myself, how can I be different without compromising who I am? And I think one of the things about me is I have a dynamic set of interests and I like to think a dynamic set of skills. And so to me, I looked at it and said, well, I can host, I can set these guys up. I love football just as much as I love basketball, baseball included. Why don't I try hosting some stuff too? The more I can do and not just to say I do it, but the more that I do and can excel at, I think that allows the bosses and the suits to sit there and go, we could probably use Cornette for this, not just, oh, yeah, he's a basketball player. He's a pretty good analyst, uh, but we've got a million analysts. And so to me, I love calling games. I love being a commentator. The atmosphere being there is second to none. Now that changes, obviously, in the world we're in right now. Uh, but I still love calling games. I love analyzing hoops. But I also love sitting on the desk on a football Saturday with Coach Mark Richt, Eric McLean, and EJ Manuel and setting them up on questions and taking a deeper dive on what we're seeing on a football Saturday. And because Shay's not there, being able to drive a show. (laughs) So to drive that thing is really cool for me. And so to say I'm a college football host on a Saturday, uh, to say I'm commentating on college basketball games, Say I'm a radio host who can comfortably talk about any sport. I don't know if Scottie Pippen's doing that. <laughs> I don't know if those guys are doing that. And to me, that's a spot where I can say, this isn't something I forced to try and set myself apart. It's who I am. And I think that's why I got to ESPN because they saw me doing a morning show in Chicago from 6 to 8 a.m. talking about politics, uh, pop culture, the news of the day with no sports. And then leaving that show at 8 a.m. and then taking a car service over to ESPN 1000 and talking about the Bears, Bulls, Sox, and Cubs. 
Scotty Pippen wasn't doing that either. Talk so, to him, Jordan. I'm not flexing. Look, <laughs> anybody would hire Scotty Pippen before me, they'd be stupid not no, to. No, I understand what you're saying, though. That's that's a, that's that's a, that's a, that's a, uh, that's that's a good that's a good sell. All right, the last one I want to um, here's where I want to end with. Um, what kind of feedback have you gotten from uh, ESPN executives about how the radio show is, mm-hmm. and where do your interests lie in extending this obviously beyond the the football season? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it would strike me that if they like what you're doing, and I imagine they do, they would want this to continue uh, past football season. They have a b- great built-in marketing campaign that you guys are married. You have very good chemistry that I obviously can see on this podcast. It would strike me that this would be great for all parties, but ultimately that's not your decision. That's someone else's decision. What, what, what can you tell me about where that, where you think that stands at the moment? Well, as you said, it's not our decision. However, I will say we've gotten from probably week three on, because it took us probably about three weeks to kind of get in our first group. week was horrible. First, second week, not so good. But we, about week three is where we really <laughs> caught our stride. Um, we had a few warm up games. Um, and ever since then, honestly, we've gotten great feedback from our bosses. I know that there's a lot of people that have taken notice, and I'm especially grateful for that because I'm obviously new to the ESPN party. But I know that we have gotten some really great feedback just in terms of yes, our chemistry and yes, our relationship, but how we've been able to translate that on air. Um, So we would hope that maybe down the road, it leads to more long-term simulcast, maybe, I don't know. Um, And even like responses on social media and Jordan will say this too. Look, we all know how brutal social media can be. If anyone's going to keep it real, it's going to be there. And even on Sundays, the responses really for us have been positive, very positive, which is shocking for, I think, everyone involved. So um, we're hoping it's going in the right way. We can't make that that decision, but we are definitely pushing for it yeah. <laughs> as and, much as we can. To me, I mean, I got to ESPN at 36, 37 years old, right. and that was 15 years in the business starting from production assistant up. And that, to me, is fast. Like, I know stories of people that are like, yeah. 15 years, I mean, they get in line to get that kind of break. So to me, I really understand the power of patience and not getting too much in your own head and wanting it in that very moment. We all do. I look around and the really cool thing about ESPN is you can't take five steps. I mean, this is obviously pre COVID without running into somebody on campus who's immensely talented. I mean, that's just what this is like you got to this point because you're really talented. There's a lot of people standing in that line waiting for their number to be called we just got to hope ours is going to be called at some point. And all we can do is keep our head down, mm-hmm. keep being married, keep having our chemistry. Keep being married. Let's hope being, so. Keep being fun on Sundays. Would then, the show continue if you got divorced? If the show was great? not do that, Richard? Yeah, Richard. I mean, we just were starting to get along. We I'm sorry. Well, how long have you been married for? Only like literally like what? Like 19 months? I mean, it's really <laughs> yeah. short, right? It'll, it'll be two years in June. Well, wait a second. Let's answer the question. What, what would you do if we get divorced? Are you no. going to stay with the show? No, I'll have my own show. What happens, Shay? What happens if the money's really, really good? Just yeah. to keep the show. <laughs> so, like a flipper flop situation. And it's still, we still watch flipper flop. I know we do. I, I think we still do it, even if we get divorced. That made that make for I, killer. Radio. How many divorced couples are doing radio out there? I yeah. think be along with you married on the radio. I think I could do it if we were divorced. It's the ca- it's the chemistry part that you'd have to maintain. But if you can yeah, maintain right. that. Right, exactly. You know? okay, I don't. I, this discussion is frightening to me. I like the right. dark a little bit. I kind of <laughs> want to lean into this a little. Bit. Far and away, the best part of the podcast is right now. Um, no, this is not going to happen. You guys, you, you have a long, healthy marriage, and um, we'll give you the scoop and, if it happens first. Yeah, <laughs> please. We'll call yeah. you. 
You know ESPN, they'll, they'll make it the first divorce couple to ever know, host a show on ESPN Radio. Still breaking records, these <laughs> Cornettes. <laughs> yep. Be awesome. All right, is there anything you guys want to add before I before I let you go? I mean, I, you're in Connecticut. You probably haven't spoken to another human being except me in months. So, it's so right. true. It's so true. <laughs> you're not going to campus right now, right? Or you're doing the show from your house? Or I'm are you doing it from ESPN? From campus. Because oh, it's great. Okay, you're going to ESPN Radio, uh, their offices there. That's good. Okay. You got to have all the TVs in front of us. Right. It's hard to watch nine games at once. In our you house. know, I do want to ask you a serious question, though. I'm sure that obviously you have, um, um, you know, you follow protocol, you mask in when you walk into the studio and out, but on air, no masks, right? I'm no assuming. Okay. It's funny, though, Richard, we're six feet away from each other in the studio. Naturally, right. all studios are set up. Because everybody's got to be socially distanced. Yeah, yeah. but I, I laughed the first time we went in there. I'm like, well, six feet away from the man that I live with and drive right. with. And sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so right. it's, it doesn't really work in they've, our favor the same way, but yeah, they've been really good about that there. Cause I'm there on Saturdays. I'm the lone person of our four man team, right? Air team that's in there and you won't see maybe one or two people mm-hmm. for the whole day. And I'm there from sunup to sundown yeah. covering games. So that part is unique uh, in terms of stuff we didn't really get to say. I just think it's, it's cool to be given an opportunity like this, honestly. And I think for those who haven't heard us and, I imagine that's probably 90% of your, your, your audience <laughs> here, is Richard, fine. is okay. give us a shot. It, it's, it's always fun for me to discover new people who are talented and kind of latch on to them and, and watch them go. And our story on air is really just starting. And I think it's, yeah. it's a fun one to root for because shit, turn on, get on your timeline, turn on the tube. It's a lot of ugliness. Yeah. And we're trying to celebrate something that, that is unique and organic and very real not trying to package it and present it a certain way. It's just two people in love that got a kick-ass opportunity and are really having fun with it. And at times they're, they're hitting a wall and there's some awkward debate argument stuff, but it's all fun to listen to. It, it's a fun ride for us and we hope more people listen and join it. Yeah, you, yeah, you guys have you you guys have uh, hit the life lottery. That's a good. It's a good. Hey. St- in all seriousness, hey. it's a good story. Hey. All right, Jordan Cornette and Shea Pepler Cornette. They co-host ESPN Radio's Game Day each Sunday. During the football season, uh, catch that show one to five. As I said at the top, first time a married couple has co-hosted an ESPN radio show. And also now they've set themselves up to be the first divorced couple, perhaps, to uh, host that radio show as well. So incredible, incredibly exciting. Way to go, ESPN. You've got it on both sides. No, they have. They obviously have very good chemistry, as you can tell from this podcast. Um and um, and so I wish you guys nothing but the best of success. It was really, actually, honestly, I never talked to you before. It was a lot of fun to talk to you guys, and um, and I'll be rooting for you. All right, listen, Jordan Cornette and Shea Pepler Cornette, the uh, Dennis Rodman and Scotty Pippen of, of ESPN. I don't oh, even know. Where's name. the Michael Jordan? I was looking <laughs> for MJ. I mean, you guys just started with this radio show. I mean, come on. Check back in a couple of years and we're on. We'll be, we can no offense, Shay. I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't right. work for ESPN PR. It's his first two years in the league. You know, it took him a little time to get there. All right. And Jordan, good luck with that eligibility. Maybe it'll happen for you. <laughs> Thanks, brother. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Richard. Yeah, we are sincerely. Yeah, in all, no, in all seriousness, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, as I said at the top, Harvey Aradin is a longtime sports writer, who sports journalist who worked for 25 years at the New York Times. So that, that's not exactly correct because he is still doing work for the New York Times. If you are a New Yorker like myself, you um, you know that Harvey rightfully earned a reputation as one of the best sports columnists in the country. He also worked uh, a little before my time at the New York Post and the Daily News. So um, he, um, yeah, he's a New Yorker through and through. He's on this podcast today uh, because he has a new book out, Our Last Season, A Writer, A Fan, A Friendship, and that chronicles his bond with Michelle Musler. I hope I pronounced her name right. She was a longtime season ticket holder for the Knicks, and I'm pleased to be joined by Harvey Arden. Harvey? Hello. I hope things are okay in New Jersey. We're hanging in. We're hanging in. We've got a little bit of a spike going on in cases, but, um, you know, we've got some, uh, so far, we've had some pretty sound leadership, so hopefully we'll be able to deal with it. Before I ask you a couple of questions about the book, um, I wanted to start here because I think you really would have great insight on this. You were a really, I think, prototypical or traditional general sports columnist for many, many years, multiple decades, someone who, you know, I might read at the U.S. Open, and then the next week you could be doing the Knicks, and then the next week you might do like some kind of larger uh, thesis on drugs and sports. That, to me, is sort of a general columnist, can basically go anywhere. And I wonder from your perspective in 2020, two things. One, how do you view the role of a sports general sports columnist in 2020, and perhaps even more importantly, is the position endangered? And do you think 10 years from now, there will even be such a thing in an era of specialization? Uh, I definitely think it's endangered. And I started to see this trend, I'd say about 10 years ago. Actually, Selena Roberts, my former colleague at the Times, was the one who first tipped me off. She had, she had moved to Sports Illustrated. She had been doing the back page column, sharing it. And uh, she stopped doing it. Didn't, things didn't go all that well at SI for her, I, I, I believe. But we were having dinner one night, and she said to me, if you think about it, the, the erudite columnist who weighs in on any number of issues um, can't possibly be as impactful in the modern era of, you know, 24-hour talk, podcasts, tweets, um, you know, the, the, the ongoing chatter uh, where people are offering their opinions everywhere you turn. And so the sheer noise kind of obscures, I think, the general columnist. People are more, they want their opinions. It's more like fast food. Uh, which is not to say that these aren't valid opinions, but it's just the nature of how they're delivered. Then I think just the, uh, the calamitous uh, decline of, of newspaper finances uh, dictated that staffs had to be cut. And along with the rise of the specialist, whether it was, you know, Woj in basketball or, you know, uh, Jeff Passan in, in baseball, whoever it was, that became the trend. That became the sexy guy, the sexy person to kind of cultivate and steal from a competitor, someone who could break news, you know, generate millions of Twitter followers. And so, again, when it came down to the choice of what do I want? You know, you're a sports editor. You have a certain amount of positions that you can maintain. What do I need the most? The newsmakers 
over the opinion shaper um, became the choice. So you began to see general sports columnists losing their jobs or being bumped back into other positions. I mean, I myself in 2009 uh, stopped doing the Sports of the Times column. I left sports for about a year and wrote features around the paper and came back in more of a hybrid role. And honestly, I've, I had to say that I felt a little bit more useful weighing in when I had something to say, but also going out and becoming a storyteller again in the current environment and, you know, the, the kind of uh, uh, the, the needs of the time sports section. I felt that I had a more substantial job, which is, you know, which is interesting because we always aspired to that general sports column, you know, as I came up in the late 70s and on into the 80s. It's interesting you say that. So to me, there are sort of two things that, um, and I agree with everything you said about sort of the, the general sports columnist as an endangered species. I don't think it'll go away totally. I think there will be some news outlets that still will invest in that. But to me, one um, big factor, Harvey, was social media and sort of gives the voice to everybody being a 24-7 real-time sports columnist, whether those opinions are informed or, or well thought out or reported, almost isn't the point. It's the fact that the, the, the forum exists for everyone to, um, to do that, and thus, I think, takes a little bit away from the uniqueness of the general sports columnist. And then secondly, and this is where I, uh, I'll have one more for you before we get to your book, I, I have found, Harvey, that um, specialists are being asked to give opinion in addition to reporting. And that, I think, changed the equation where um, maybe Adrian Wojnarowski, well, actually, he is a good example. He may not necessarily do that in print, although he has a lot, but he certainly does in his multimedia forums where ESPN will bring him on to ask him to offer analysis or an opinion on something in the NBA. And thus, he takes the role almost as a as a sports columnist for the NBA, in addition to being a reporter. And I think because so many quote unquote specialists or people who sort of focus on a singular sport offer opinion in addition to reporting, I think it, again, I think it has mitigated the impact of a, of a person whose job it is just to give opinion. I agree. Although I would add that it's a fine line to walk for people like Woj. Uh, I remember an issue came up a bunch of years ago with Karen Krauss when she was covering golf at the Times and she wrote some things about uh, Augusta National at that point, which hadn't taken on a woman yet as a member and, you know, sort of got into hot water a little bit, not only with the club, but with the sports editor at the Times. Um, it's a, you, you, can, you can be offered, it's, easy, it's one thing to offer opinions on things like, you know, should the Lakers trade six young players for Anthony Davis? It's another thing to go after the commissioner uh, in ways that can become personal. And I think that's the, 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 the you know, and, and, and whether you wind up jeopardizing sources, you know, in the process. And I think that's where the general columnist's strength always were, is that we weren't, we weren't beholden to any, you know, coaches, players, executives that we were writing about. If somebody blew me off and didn't want to talk to me based on, something I had written, well, you know, that was the deal I had signed up for. Where I think if you're a reporter and your primary job is to break news, that can, again, that's a fine line to walk. So I, I do think there are areas where you can be 
subjective and, you know, and, and put your opinions out there. But I think unlike the general columnist, the specialist always has to be mindful of, you know, just how much of uh, how many sources are going to turn off if you cross a line on, you know, on, on your opinion. You, um, this book obviously is very personal for you. Um, it's not, uh, I think, you know, I imagine, especially in the middle of COVID, it's a challenge to promote it. But, you know, obviously Michelle Musler was a, um, someone you had a long-term and unique bond with. Um, she was a longtime season ticket holder of the Knicks. And so why, um, why did you want to write this book? What, 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 what ultimately was the desire to let more people know about your relationship with Michelle and I guess Michelle herself? Well, I think when you start to wind down after a long career in daily journalism, you become, you know, a little reflective. I mean, it's human nature. Uh, honestly, I've never thought of myself as enough of a brand or uh, the kind of uh, journalist who would want to just basically write my memoir and just recount, uh, you know, the uh, the decades of my career and the things that I had done or hadn't done. Um, but in this particular uh, instance, uh, the opportunity to write something is sort of a pseudo memoir, but told through the narrative of a special friendship uh, that I had with a woman um, who sat literally one one row behind the bench uh, behind the Knicks bench for 45 years and started out really being a source for me, my eyes and ears behind the bench. And that relationship evolved into a mentorship. She became, you know, a de facto life coach slash therapist for me. Uh, our families got to know one another. Uh, it was just, she became really outside of my wife, uh, my best friend. And, when I, I wound up writing her obituary in the Times uh, when she passed away in, in, the, in June of 2018. And the opportunity to kind of tell this story um, allowed me to also touch on a lot of themes, obviously friendship, mentorship, a mutual love of basketball centered around the garden. But the one that really most intrigued me, Richard, was um, the subject of aging and the void brought on when you know, uh, things by which we define ourselves are suddenly taken from us. Uh, in Michelle's case, uh, it was her deteriorating health that prevented her from going to games during the 2017-18 season. And in my case, uh, stepping away from the full-time journalism life. Hence, our last season becomes um, several months where we spent a lot of time together having dinners, reminiscing about our friendship and what it meant. Uh, and also dealing with that sense, that loss of identity. And it's a struggle for many, many people as they get into retirement years. Well, how do you replace those feelings of relevance? Um, you know, some people never do, so they work until the day they die. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But in many cases in our current economy um, and in the recession of, let's say, 09, they don't have a choice. It's thrust upon them. Um, so that was something that, you know, that I'm still struggling with. And, you know, Michelle was very, very helpful having 
having given up her or lost her career, just sort of like aged out of her career about 10, 12 years before she died, she had already experienced that. And by the same token, I could help her with the loss of identity of not being around the garden anymore by spending a lot of time with her and making her feel that she still had somebody to share that, that love of the game with. Mm, that's well said. Um, you, um, I know you sort of touched on this in the times and, um, and I wanted to follow up with you. The, um, you know, COVID if knock on wood, when, and if a vaccine comes, um, the world will still be irrevocably changed by COVID and that will, that certainly filters to sports as well. And, Michelle was somebody obviously who had a, uh, you know, one of these premium courtside seats was that close to the players was essentially a character, a minor one, but a character in the game, the way Spike Lee is Harvey, what do you, uh, as we head forward, um, how do you think COVID may or may not change that specific, um, part of basketball? Let's say the, the, the courtside fan who is so close to the players that they can hear what's said in the huddles, they sometimes get a high five from a player. I mean, that's sort of a great thing about basketball, but you know, in the age of COVID-19, I don't know if that's going to exist. What did, what do you think? Well, that was the thrust of a piece I did in the times that was sort of book related last beginning of last week. And, um, you know, I called up several, uh, longtime season ticket holders, courtside people who paid enormous amount of money, obviously for those seats, including Spike Lee, uh, who's 63 years old and essentially told me he has no idea uh, whether he would, you know, go venture back to that celebrity row seat that he pays, I believe, about $3,600 per ticket per game. Um, and, you know, I think that's really kind of an alarming issue for the NBA and, you know, certainly the NHL, the other sport that rely that is played indoors. Uh, we already see around the country, a lot of people attending college football games and, and uh, NFL games. We saw people play at the World Series in Arlington. Um, you know, we're not gonna see, I don't think 80,000 people crammed together at outdoor ball, ballparks, but I could see Major League Baseball, you know, having 30,000 people in their ballparks next summer, uh, assuming the virus is under control a little, uh, you know, a little more, a lot more, if not completely eradicated, because, because I don't think it, we're going to reach that point anytime soon. And when it comes to something indoors, especially courtside, where every available inch of space, as you know, is sold to, you know, maximize the, you know, the, the premium seat prices that they charge. And, but that's also part of the attraction of it. You're all crammed together. It's exciting. There's a frenzy about it. You're near the celebrities, at least to the garden in places like, um, you know, L.A. or Drake in Toronto. Um, and how you replicate that, you know, at a time, even if you have something like rapid testing, those aren't the most reliable tests. So the question becomes just how much, much risk is too much for people to not only go, but also pay an enormous price for the privilege of being there. I worry about the NBA and what it's going to look like in the coming two or three years. I don't, I don't think they get back to what it was anytime soon. One more on Michelle. Um, how did she reconcile loving the Knicks, probably loving the players, loving the game itself, and um, contributing money to James Dolan? 
and 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 being connected probably to an owner that um, is quite frankly very hard to love, let alone like. Yeah, well, as I you know, I mentioned earlier, the 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 going to the games for Michelle what represented or reflected a woman who uh, had five kids when she was very young. Her marriage fell apart. Her husband left her with very little money. Um, she had to begin her career in corporate, uh, corporate America as a human resources specialist and ultimately the owner of a one-woman company where she essentially was a corporate fixer. She'd be hired by companies like Procter & Gamble to travel around the world and work with troubled executives. Um, so um, the garden was the place where she rebuilt her social life. She didn't feel that she fit anymore in the suburbia where she lived and maintained her home with her five kids so they could attend good suburban schools. Uh, but she needed to go elsewhere to kind of rebuild a social life. And that was in that neighborhood behind the bench at the garden and in the club, uh, the bar afterward, where she knew a lot of the players and their wives and their girlfriends. In some place, in some circumstances, it was the wife and the girlfriend. Uh, so, you know, so she, that was the attraction for her as much as how good the Knicks were was the lifestyle that she had created for herself. Um, as we reached the turn of the century and the Dolan era began, and then obviously went badly, yeah, she suffered a lot and she had a lot of, you know, anger toward him about, for instance, the Carmelo Anthony trade, which stripped the Knicks of all their assets. Um, there is a chapter in the book, late in the book, called Dolan and the Death of Hope. And where Michelle spends a lot of time um, fantasizing almost about what she, as a corporate fixer, could do to work with Dolan and get him to be a better, more accountable, more representative owner. Um, and she didn't, she didn't really hate him. She didn't know him. And in some ways, she watched him in other areas like his rock band where she said he always said he always had better much better body language than she did sitting in his slumped in his courtside seat um but you know for her i mean there's a line at the end of the book where i the last chapter was a letter to michelle uh a year after she has passed and where i talked to her about her under coming to understand that uh, for her and millions and millions of other fans, it's less about the trophy than it is about the journey. And that's really the beauty of being a sports fan. You know, it's, it's your team. And even when it stinks and it seems hopeless for the foreseeable future, you still feel like you're part of something. And that's, I think that was the main attraction for Michelle to feel like she was connected to a social world again, like the one she had before her marriage fell apart. Have you uh, heard from anyone um, who's part of the Knicks, whether former player, uh, uh, maybe current player is probably not going to happen, someone in uh, Knicks management organization, just about the book? I'm curious uh, um, if they've, and it's not necessarily about the Knicks per se, but but it's but the Knicks obviously are a central figure in Michelle's life. So I wonder if uh, if you've just gotten any kind of interesting feedback from anybody connected with the Knicks. Well, some of not yet because the book really just published. Um, you know, it published yesterday, right? Twenty seventh. Twenty seventh. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, so the books are circulating now. Uh, 
I have spoke, uh, you know, for the book, I interviewed, you know, several people connected to the Knicks, Mike Breen, Charles Oakley, right. um, Oakley, who refers to Michelle as the Oak Man of Knicks fans, because she was so <laughs> dependable and fierce and loyal to the cause, you know, um, and um, Mark Jackson. Uh, these are all people, Jeff Van Gundy, that she all had relationships. She had relationships with all these people. And uh, I suppose I will be hearing soon, um, you know, from several people within the organization and a lot of the, the fans that sat in the neighborhood who knew Michelle very well. What, uh, last one for me, Harry, what's it been like to, uh, and again, I realize sort of the promotion maybe starts to see a little heavier now, but what, what are the challenges of promoting a book in, in, in a time where people cannot go to bookstores, even with Amazon? being obviously a sent and others a central figure in how you get books but for a book like yours there really would be value in going to a bookstore and doing a reading or taking Q&A or or getting creative in terms of the marketing and you know uh, going to a bar somewhere where where sports fans could ask you about the Knicks and Michelle those those options don't exist right now which which has to make it very tough for an author yeah i mean we do have a we do have several zoom events with bookstores coming up um, uh, but I can tell you having, uh, published a book days before nine 11 and another one around the time of hurricane Sandy, I'm ex well experienced in, in, uh, in, uh, publishing during difficult times. And in fact, my, uh, my good friend, Philip Bondi, who I worked with for many years, uh, and is a neighbor of mine here in Montclair, New Jersey said to me for the sake of humanity, please stop writing books. Uh, <laughs> but but I, you know, it, it, it's, I, I guess the one, the main drawback in coming out with a book like this at this time is that you lose the browsing audience. You know, they, people will go to bookstores uh, if they can order it, pick it up, have it left outside, have it delivered. We have, we have a local bookstore in, in our town uh, that hosts a lot of those kinds of events. And, you know, I've been buying books throughout the pandemic there. Uh, that, you know, I order, they leave it outside in a little bag or whatever. But the idea of going into a Barnes and Noble, looking around and saying, ah, this looks interesting. That's pretty much eliminated. So, um, you know, you can, you can, you can replace live events with zoom events. Um, you, what you hope for is that people have more time on their hands because they're home more and they're looking for things, you know, the basketball season, would normally be starting up now. And that's the way the book was planned, a new Knicks season, a new NBA season, instead of the end of a season, right. but perhaps on the other, you know, the other, on the other side of it, you know, it can fill a little bit of a void for people who need their basketball fix. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. The uh, Harvey Arden's new book, our last season, a writer, a fan of friendship uh, check that out on Amazon and elsewhere, and uh, you can continue to read Harvey in the um, the New York Times when he uh, pens pieces there. Harvey, I have uh, immense respect for your career. I wish you nothing but the best of luck with the book. Thanks so much today for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you for having me, Richard. One of the things I miss most about not being a daily journalism anymore is running into you at the Women's Final Four every year. That was uh, that was a good group where we can uh, we could hang out. I uh, I missed that as well. Thanks, Harvey. You good Be, and uh, stay safe. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to uh, th my three guests who were terrific this week: Chris Fowler, of course, of ESPN; 
Shea Pepler Cornette and Jordan Cornette of uh, ESPN, ESPN Radio, the ACC Network, and Harvey Aradin, the uh, fine sports writer for the New York Times, um, who has his new book out. If uh, you like these conversations, head to the uh, archives and check out uh, some of our previous uh, shows. Uh, the last one before this was really, really good. We had a sports viewership uh, roundtable with Mike Mulvihill of Fox Sports, Flora Kelly of ESPN, and Austin Karp of the Sports Business Daily, uh, three of the foremost experts at the, in the country at sports viewership, who I hope at least uh, gave you a, a good faith and intellectually sound reason as to why all these uh, sports properties are down. Uh, prior to that, we had Stan Van Gundy, who uh, after uh, <laughs> doing my podcast got hired uh, for an NBA coaching job in New Orleans. So uh, you can check out the, one of his last interviews as a media person. Also, John O'Rand of the Sports Business Daily on a whole host of topics. And then just go down the list from um, ESPN's uh, Malika Andrews to NFL Network's Jim Trotter and Steve Weish, Renee Young of the uh, WWE, and uh, you know you probably will find something there depending on your sport that you like. Um, the way this podcast sticks around is if you leave five-star reviews and uh, as well as uh, written uh, comments um, on the, uh, you know, wherever you listen, iTunes, or Stitcher, or Google Play, that's uh, my company, Caves 13, sees that, and uh, that helps this podcast continue. So thank you for the support over the uh, over the years here and as well as at Sports Illustrated. Thanks to uh, Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry for producing this podcast. Thanks to everybody, Cadence 13, from Chris Corcoran to Spencer Brown and John McDermott. This is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.